Welcome to the Genetics Podcast. I'm really excited to be here today with Seb Tucknot, who is an entrepreneur, author, and patient advocate. Seb was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease, when he was 21 years old. Um, in 2015, uh, he founded IBD Relief, which is a website that allows people with IBD to share their experience and access support tools. And then in 2019, he wrote a book called Tipping the Balance, which is about how he radically changed his diet and lifestyle to get his ulcerative colitis at bay. So Seb, welcome and, and thanks so much for taking the time. I followed you on Twitter for a while. Um, you're one of those people that uh, has taken a problem that they experience personally and uh, and turned it into a solution, which is always amazing to see. Um, so first of all, welcome and wondering if you could maybe just take us back to 2008 when you first started experiencing your symptoms and, and talk about um, some of your experience. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for inviting me on. Um, yeah, I go back to 2008. My my first symptoms was going to the toilet, and there was uh, blood in my in my poo. Um, and didn't really know what that was. Went to the doctors. Was told I had a hemorrhoid um, with no investigations. And then, um, sort of long story short, I over the, the course of three weeks lost um, about ten kilos. Um, I was going to the toilet 40 times a day, went to A&E a couple of times, first time again, got turned away with a hemorrhoid. Um, and then the second time, uh, finally someone actually decided to do an investigation and they suspected that I, I might have, uh, ulcerative colitis, went on to have a sigmoidoscopy, which is, um, a camera up your bum, um, to kind of see what's going on uh, and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and spent nine days in hospital. Um, and that was like the first time I've ever really experienced the healthcare system properly. Uh, first time I've ever stayed in hospital. Um, and that was quite a scary experience, I suppose, when I was 21. Yeah, absolutely. So how, how much did that shape your um, experience or your, your decision later on to found IBD relief? I guess it was about seven years or so between then and when you ultimately founded it, but I, I'd be interested to hear how that, uh, how that came about. It certainly opened my eyes up to healthcare. So I've, I had at the time I'd run my own business for about a year or two. I've always been interested in science and sort of health and medicine. I did, uh, think about studying medicine at a university. I'd wasn't quite academic enough, so didn't get the grades um, and went on to study chemical engineering. But I think being in hospital, it was like, I just saw quite a lot of things. I was like, oh, okay, they're doing something like this. Could that be better? Or like, I, I like to solve problems. I like to make things more efficient. Um, so straight away, I sort of saw a few things and, and became interested in the healthcare space. Um, the big thing for me, sort of moving on throughout my sort of initial few years of, of, of living the disease was just my real surprise at the lack of information given to me. Um, when I was diagnosed with how much you've been diagnosed with osteocolitis, here's your medication, go and get on with the rest of your life. There was no real guidance in terms of what was going to be there, uh, thereafter. Then the other thing as well was like I've, I've worked in, I run a web design and marketing company. So I've been in sort of tech and, and I was really surprised at the very lack of asking me any questions about me as a, as a person. So it was like, I was never asked like, do I smoke? Do I go out drinking all the time? Like what's my lifestyle like? Um, 
is there any history of anything in my family? Uh, all kinds of different things. And I started sort of thinking about these questions around like, I'd had hay fever when I was, well, I had hay fever, I'd had asthma when I was younger. Like, were those in any way linked to, um, to my condition? So I sort of started to have sort of those questions. Um, the real thing for me was my frustration with, with my care team where I would, I would go to them and say, oh, I've noticed that I'm getting stressed and that's causing some, that's causing my disease to flare up and, and being told that, oh, that doesn't make a difference. Like that, that that's a load of rubbish. Um, and it was like, well, I, I'm pretty sure, like, I know my body, like this is definitely making a difference. Like every time I get stressed, I have a flare up. Um, and I'd noticed other sort of patterns with my life. Um, so the initial motivation for rugby reef was like, hang on a minute, why can't I kind of gather data from patients? It's not that hard using online tools. Um, can I create some evidence to go back to my doctor and say, you know what? I said, this makes something worse and a thousand other patients also agree with me. So maybe you should listen. <laughs> um, so it kind of started from that. Um, I also got involved in a Facebook group with lots of other patients. It was the first time that I had, um, met anyone else with the disease. I'd spent sort of four or five years, never met anyone with the disease. And again, that really opened my eyes up to like, actually, you know what? There's loads of people going through the similar stuff to me. There's loads of people with questions. I took it on myself to like, try and help people with some of their problems or their questions. It's like, Oh, I'll go and like try and look that up or it sort of intrigued me. Um, and again, I just saw this wealth of information that was in this Facebook group, but it was so fast paced. So it was like someone would post over every five minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like someone would post a question, you'd get 10 responses. Then an hour later, someone would post a similar question and then you'd get a completely different set of responses. And it's like, depending when you post and who's online, it's kind of potluck as to what advice you get. And that advice could make a massive difference to your life. So it was like, again, is there some way that we could kind of aggregate this or try and like, and like, like chorus style where it's kind of like, um, yeah. kind of upvote some of these questions. Cause I, I saw some advice on there that was like really life changing for people, but then also stuff that was like pretty damn scary. And it's like, there's no way of controlling that. Um, so that was kind of the very beginnings of, of setting up Ibs Relief. Yeah, you uh, you anticipated one of my major questions, which was going to be how how does you know there's an enormous ecosystem on Facebook that a lot of people use, but clearly it wasn't built for this, and and there are also issues about data privacy that people are concerned about, but but also just simply the the structure of the platform isn't necessarily built um, from from the ground up. So I'm curious whether you you s- see an opportunity for what you've built um, to kind of you know tailor this experience a little bit more to be used across other disease areas? Or, or if you think that, you know, you're, are you laser focused on IBD um, because there's, there's such a huge patient population and, and so many specific kind of problems or, or solutions there. I'm just curious about how you see whether this can affect other, other chronic um, or, or rare conditions. I think, well, there's a, sort of a few questions there. One I've, I've begun to learn that other long-term chronic conditions and particularly the other autoimmune diseases, there's so many similarities. Um, I'm super passionate now around education and how we, how we can better inform and empower patients to understand their disease, whatever disease that is. 
because for me, I always say to people, I wish I wish I'd met me now, 12 years ago or 13 years ago, whatever it was, because like the stuff I know now about my body and how things work and my understanding of the disease and like so many different things is like incredible. Um, if I had known those things early on, it would have really helped me, um, well, massively, massively changed my life. So it's how do we give access to that knowledge? Both, I think just from a basic level, like the knowledge that's shared with patients is pretty poor across the board anyway. I mean, there's patients, we saw it with, with COVID, like patients being told to shield and patients going, I don't even know if I'm on an immunosuppressant drug or not. And like, you should, the, the patient should know that. Um, they may have been told, they may not have been told, but again, that's information they should have. So yeah. how do we improve this, that basic level? But then it goes much deeper in terms of like, how do you live with this thing? How do you improve your quality of life? How do you deal with relationships? How do you deal with psychological problems? How do you deal with work, school? Like there's just so many different things. And I, I say to people now, it's like you almost need like a degree to in your disease to live with that disease and that's going to help improve your quality of life so that's the area that we're spending a lot of time on at the moment is around how do we improve that education journey and that information journey um will we spread that out into other disease areas possibly we're focusing on ibd right now because it's something that that we understand and i wouldn't want to claim to understand things about other disease areas um but there's definitely that opportunity i think if it's not us like someone else can do it and we would be uh, interested to sort of help kind of yeah. share our learnings. And I think you can translate that into other areas. Yeah. You, I, what you mentioned about kind of becoming an expert in your own disease. I, I did my PhD work in rare neurodevelopmental disorders. And it's amazing the the parents that you meet that become an expert in their child's condition. We've, I've had a few on the podcast. So, uh, Jillian Hastings Ward is uh, one great example. She, is the chair of the Genomics England participant panel. Her her child has a ultra rare disorder, and and often the parents and the parent support group are are amongst the foremost experts in the world on the condition because they they have to be. Um, and I think this is the case for almost everything except the the absolutely most common um, conditions. I was curious though to follow up on the thread of you wanting to have met uh, present day you in in the past. What is it that you've what are the big things that you've learned that, that you wish you had to impart? And I think this is a big topic of your book probably as well. So maybe we can segue into that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so much. And I, at the same time, I don't think I could explain 12 years of insight in, uh, in a short period of time to my, to my former self, but it's, I think the, the key things would be that I have a massive role in my health. Like, I think when I was diagnosed, and I think we have this in the healthcare system, particularly here in the UK, it's kind of the doctor will fix you. So it's, I have a problem. I'm going to go to the doctor. They know everything. They're going to give me a treatment. I'm going to be cured. Like that, that is the simplistic view that we have. Um, and I now know that that's very, not very much not the case. Um, they still play a super important role and I'm really grateful for the care I've had and without them, I would most certainly have lost my colon and things like that. So they're part of it. But I think what I've learned is the more I can take some control in my health and, um, there's things I can do that's going to help 
make me better. I think that that's probably would be kind of the underlying thing. It's then just about working with my former self, uh, my naive self of like, okay, these are things you can do. This is how you might start to change some of your behaviors. This is the things that might um, improve your quality of life. And my book goes into a lot of how I do that now. In, in essence, I look after my health by by focusing on, I mean, they're kind of like very basic fundamentals of health. So I look after my sleep. I try and get as much sleep, not as much sleep, as, as, as good quality <laughs> sleep as possible. So it's about quality, not just quantity. And I've learned so much from tracking my sleep and understanding my sleep. My mind, so again, managing stress, like at first it was focusing on stress. So I run my own business, it's stressful. I'd noticed that every time it was payday, I would have a flare up because I didn't have enough money to pay all my employees. And <laughs> that was quite stressful. Um, so think like learning coping mechanisms of how I can reduce that stress. Um, but now I kind of gone further into actually, you know what? Mind and stress is not just about stress. It's about happiness and enjoyment and pleasure and things like that. So actually you can be not stressed, but you can still not be happy. Um, so working on kind of those things, Diet and nutrition has been a big part for me. I was very fixated on diet for a number of years. And I think, again, now I've learned that there's more to health than diet. I think a lot of people get fixated on, I need to have the best diet. And, and that can end up causing more stress. And there's a great right. um, saying I heard, it's, it's, it's better to eat the wrong foods with the right frame of mind than the right foods with the wrong frame of mind. Um, and I think that's so true. And I think there's times it's like, you know, I will smash a chocolate bar. It's not going to kill me. It's fine. Like I enjoy it. <laughs> um, and I've definitely been stressed in the past over food, which has caused a negative impact. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then the final things around like movement and stuff as well. So keeping active, keeping my body moving. And that's, that's certainly helped. No, that's, that's great. I was interested in the, what you've also seen as evolution or, or lack of evolution in terms of the healthcare teams over that time period, I, I will encourage people to um, go listen to another podcast you're a part of, which is called the Functional Health Podcast, where you told a long story of your diagnostic odyssey and and you referenced almost losing your colon earlier, which which you go into some detail there. But I'm I'm I think one of the challenges of the healthcare system is the the this long held belief that you said that the doctor will fix you and and the patient has no role to play. And while that is changing, um, you know, little by little, I think it's still the case in, in most parts of the world and for most people that, um, you know, they, they don't necessarily feel like they have that that power. I'm interested whether you've seen any of that change or if you have any, you know, specific personal experience with how to advocate for yourself, for, for lack of a better word, or, or bring that data that you might be collecting um, to the healthcare team. I think... There's definitely been in some some improvements, but we're still a very long way off. Um, I've had had the privilege to work with um, some of the leading teams in the UK now in IBD, and I can certainly see that their teams are far more set up to deal with understanding the person as a whole. Um, but even even them, they're still a very long way off. And in my own personal experience, in my own personal care, like they just don't have the t the time or the resources. I mean, I have one maybe two consultants and one ibd nurse for a population of three thousand ibd patients like you cannot deal with it like it's impossible um so i think there's some interesting stuff around 
I'm super interested in how we can start to empower other patients to help take some of that burden off. I think, um, again, I've had the opportunity to work with quite a few patients with inflammatory bowel disease, just on a like really informal basis, but seeing how much their condition improves just by having the opportunity to talk with someone that understands and actually talk through things has had a like really remarkable difference. Um, to disease and I think there's there's definitely some opportunities that we can empower patients to do that um, and that's something that we're we're looking to try and do further down the line with 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 what the work we're doing um, I think the, the problem stems from the healthcare system was set up in a time where we were facing kind of more acute problems so um, infections or um, traumas. So like, again, if, if I break my arm, I want to go to a doctor, they're going to fix my arm. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter how I broke my arm, particularly, it doesn't matter who I am as a patient, they will just fix my arm. It's fine. It's done. Um, whilst when it comes to these like complex conditions, it's, it's then very much about the patient. And I think, um, then the patient matters a lot and the diagnosis probably doesn't matter. And I think that's where we're seeing so much now, actually, whether you're diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, like all these things, actually, maybe some of the fundamental things are probably quite similar and the diagnosis doesn't really matter. Yeah, It's more like the, the way I, I, I touch on this in my book and I, I talk to people a lot now, I, I see the diagnosis with a complex chronic condition is is more like being diagnosed with debt. So you can, you can have debt, but that can mean so many different things. It could mean you have a big mortgage or it could mean you've got a load of credit cards, or it might mean like you're nearly bankrupt, like, and how you got into debt and how you get out of the debt will very much depend on that individual. So the diagnosis doesn't really matter. It's then about how you manage that. Um, and I, I hope that's the sort of a way that people can kind of, look at things slightly differently yeah that that's super interesting and i, I think it me it, it means that you really have to worry less about tests and getting to the root of how we got here but more about what what is the current state and how do we move forward right yeah definitely and and looking beyond beyond that diagnosis i've definitely seen stuff where it's like i've gone back with symptoms and it's like, oh, okay, that's just your IBD. And like, we can't investigate that further. And actually, you know what? It might be like, I definitely believe I have, um, irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS, um, as well as my IBD. So, and actually there's stuff I, I have been able to do with my IBS that has then improved my quality of life. That isn't like, I've been in remission, in clinical remission with my inflammatory bowel disease, but I still had some bowel problems. And that was down to more functional problems that could be addressed. But in the past, if you go to a doctor and say, oh, I've still got diarrhea, it's like, well, tough. That's just part of having IBD. And it's like, well, actually, there's more that can be done. I think, um, I mean, some patients, well, a lot of patients get very annoyed at the getting IBS and IBD confused, which is frustrating where people go, oh, I, I know that I've got IBS. It's like, no, it's, it's very different. Yeah, it's very different. But yeah. also I think you can have both um and and don't settle for you have the disease and that's that that's, that's kind of tough like may, maybe some of those things are tough but i think there's i'm just someone that always wants to 
is there something more I can do? Is there something, is there something more we can figure out? How can I improve my quality of life more? Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so how does, um, how does IBDrelief.com work? I, I, I had to play around. It looks like it allows, oh, you can hear my dog barking, having a good time over there. <laughs> um, it allows people to connect with other patients, uh, in, in the first instance, right? Is that to share, um, you know, to share experiences and, and support? I think you mentioned this earlier as some way of relieving the burden on the healthcare system, right? If you have 3000 patients for a, a single nurse and, um, and specialist, there's, there's really no way. And so you do you need some kind of peer support network really to, to pick up the slack. Yeah. So IBG relief has kind of become a number of different things. I started off as, as the website, which is still a useful resource resource for lots of people. And we get, um, I think we get nearly a hundred thousand people a month, um, visiting the website and it, it's very much just around information. So if you Google something, we generally come up and it's got a useful article. So that's kind of ibrelief.com. We did have the connect thing, which we played with. It never really took off to where I wanted it to go. So we've kind of, kind of put that on ice a little bit. Then as, as a, as a company, we're sort of working on like other different projects within inflammatory bowel disease and the sort of the digital health space. So we have the website that's kind of a place where we can, um, reach patients and help patients from an information perspective. We've then spent a lot of time working on this education platform, which is this, um, kids app that we're, we're just trialing at the moment. Um, so this is, we're working in a way of where the healthcare teams can kind of prescribe information and education to patients. So when you go to a clinic appointment, if you are just diagnosed and you're about to start a new treatment, the doctor, rather than just having to give a leaflet or something like that, can actually say, well, okay, you have this type of disease, you're starting this treatment and you're maybe going for a blood test that can prescribe to you um, some e-learning, some, some video courses on this is what the disease is. This is what a blood test is. This is the disease you have. Because what we found is patients want to learn a lot from their doctors. The doctors just don't have the time. So you have your 10 minute appointment. Um, it's impossible to get all the information across. So we spent a lot of time working with the healthcare teams. We started in pediatrics because they've got a little bit more time on their hands and it's, we just wanted to sort of start small and kind of understand that area. And then we're going to scale it up into adults later this year is to go and film with those healthcare teams. So, okay, tell me everything about a particular treatment or tell me everything about it. And we've now shot videos with the whole healthcare team. Um, so we started with, uh, Adam Brooks hospital in Cambridge. Um, so we've got probably 10, 15 hours of footage with their, their team talking about all these different aspects, which, I mean, I've probably had an hour with my consultant in 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got 15 hours of footage with their care team. And then we've also got loads of footage with other patients and parents and things like that. So we're now putting that together. So when you have your clinic, you can have your 10 minutes and they can say, okay, we're going to start you on azathioprine treatment, for instance, go and watch. There's 20 minutes of videos on this, go and watch that in your own time. You can watch as many times as you want. I, it's really simple, um, but we, we, we believe it's going to make a big difference. Yeah. And, and I imagine you can cover off 80% plus of the questions from 80% plus of people, which is an enormous amount of, um, 
benefit to the patients and time saved, right? So you, and it's so highly curated that you know you're getting the the best and most up to date information. I, I think it's brilliant. It it makes total sense. Why why haven't we done this uh, before? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I keep coming across that in healthcare. It's like, yeah, why why is this not being done? Um, but okay, we'll, we'll give it a go. Um, and I think the fascinating thing will be now. So we, we're in the the space now where we're we're testing this now with the first cohort of patients at Adam Brooks. We'll see. It's going to reduce the amount of time that they're talking about certain topics, but I think it's not going to, I hope, hopefully they're going to be talking about more specific things and more specific questions and the, and the patients and the families can go in feeling more empowered, more knowledgeable of that subject, and then can sort of get down to the things that are going to make a big difference to them rather than having to cover. And, and that was something we learned a lot with the healthcare teams is like, they're getting a bit bored of just having the same, they would have the same conversation with 10 patients yeah. every day. It's like, I'm just reading off the same 10 minute spiel. And, and also the variation, like if they're like hungry, cause they're about to go to lunch, like the conversation they have is not quite as good as the one they had when they're fresh in the morning or, <laughs> or whatever. So again, you're capturing it in the best way, making that a lot more useful. And also where we've now sort of talking to other hospitals, we can, we found like the best person that's really good at explaining endoscopy and the person that's really good at explaining this drug. And you can then scale those to that person across the country rather than, um, and hopefully free up that time for the healthcare teams to focus on the things that really matter. Absolutely. Well, one of the other big issues that, that I think there is, and I'm interested if you have an, uh, another clever solution for that is the, the difference in level of access to skilled consultants or, or doctors. So someone who happens to be born or live in the place where the, the chief gastroenterologist who knows ulcerative colitis up and down um, has, has luck of the draw that they've got, uh, you know, a great experience, but someone who hasn't, um, how, how do you bring that expert, opinion or, or experience. So the, I think the videos are a brilliant way because you can get a lot of that expert opinion, but then for the follow-up of, um, the, you know, the long tail of, of questions and personal experience that is, is I think what doctors want to spend their time on anyways, right? Like you say, not answering the same 10 questions over and over, but really digging into the individual. Do you have any ideas of how, how you can scale that expert, expert, uh, contact? I think, whether it's something that we tackle in the future, I, I don't know yet. I think there's a real opportunity now that, that COVID has presented is the whole kind of remote clinic yeah. telemedicine stuff that we've been talking about for years, but it's never got anywhere. And then suddenly within 40 hours, it's like, well, everything's online and suddenly we're doing remote clinics that yeah. everyone said was impossible to do. So I think there's definitely that opportunity there where, I mean, well, we're having a conversation now over the internet like it's not quite the same as face to face, but if that's a better expert, then then why not? And I think hopefully there's an opportunity where we can, yeah, if there is an expert that's at the other end of the country, they could use one of their remote clinic, and can we share that resource across the country and, and get the right person for the right the right um, healthcare professional and do that digitally rather than this kind of postcode lottery now of yeah, which which hospital are you going to be under? How how much time do you spend now thinking about um, not not the individual kind of care and and what you can do as an individual to to improve your um, you know your your state of health, but uh, 
some of the up and coming precision medicines and, and things that people really like to talk about, but may not deliver immediate benefit. Where do you see the the balance in terms of the basic stuff like you were talking about earlier, sleep, lifestyle, diet um, versus some of the you know, precision therapies, gene editing, even prevent, you know, using genetics to preventively screen or at least detect early um, whether you might be at risk for UC or, or, or Crohn's or other inflammatory bowel disease um, subtypes. I'm just interested in, in your thoughts on whether the, the research is, is over, um, overhyped and, and we're over-indexing on it or, or whether it is actually an important piece of the whole puzzle. My personal opinion, I think it's probably being explored too, well, not too much, but I think the other stuff isn't being explored either at all or enough. Yeah. So I think we would definitely learn some stuff and I don't know you do a lot of work in sort of genomics, like we will learn some interesting stuff and that's certainly going to help. And I think inflammatory bowel disease as a disease group, there's probably I was fortunate to interview a geneticist last year and, and she, she was of the opinion there's, there's probably like 25, 30 different subtypes that are completely different. Like, is it genotype? Sorry, I'm going to get this wrong. Yep. But, yeah, you got um, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they could effectively be treated as completely separate diseases. They have the same symptoms, but right. the underlying um, pathology is, is different. So we need to be treating that in a different way. So I, I think we can definitely learn some interesting stuff there. Um my frustration, I suppose, is just the sh there's just very little, if, if any, research in some of the stuff that I've realized has made a huge difference. I mean, yeah, even even sleep, for instance. I mean, I, I've improved my sleep. And I, I now know if, I, if I'm tracking my sleep all the time, if my sleep drops off, I will start to, my symptoms will start to present itself. And when you start to dig into science, there's some, like, super fascinating stuff around the role of sleep on your immune system or like regeneration of cells. And like, so there's some pretty interesting science there. And I think a lot for a long time, it's always been like palmed off as like alternative therapy right. or alternative medicine. And it's like, Oh, it's not science. It's kind of pseudoscience stuff. And it's like, actually there's some really fascinating science there. Um, and I mean, yeah. Hey, what we could do a study and say, if we could improve everyone's sleep by 10%, we would improve quality of life by a huge amount. Like we're going to, that's something we can do right now rather than worrying about some gene therapy or something like that. Um, yeah. That's a lot, a lot further off. And when I see the money throw like flying around in research in some of these like more specific areas, I'm like, I think that's maybe where the future might be, but there's some stuff we could be doing right now. That's going to make a difference to patients right now. Do Do you think this is a failing of the way that the, economics of the healthcare system are set up because uh, I'm conscious that, that some of the ideas that you have and, and have shown to work, um, nobody makes money off of these, right? Uh, maybe in the NHS, it's probably a little bit different in theory, although it's, it's maybe it's not in practice, uh, but in theory, if you could convince everyone to, to sleep better and reduce adverse events, it would be great. But I know in the US, nobody's getting paid, or at least most people aren't getting paid to, to help people sleep better. I'm, I'm wondering if you think that needs to change. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, I, I hear a lot of doctors or 
people in the research space or, and, and patients about like, oh, I'm not going to do that because it's not evidence-based or it's, there's an evidence for that. And it's like, just because there isn't evidence doesn't mean it's not real. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly for some of this, whether we call it softer stuff, um, we're not going to, well, I don't think we're going to kill anyone by telling them to try and have a look at their sleep hygiene or something like that. So why don't we just give it a go rather than worrying about putting it through a great big RCT? Um, I think, yeah, the payment incentives is a, is a big one. And I, and I completely get that. Like, yeah, who is going to make money out of better sleep or better diet or meditation or something like the, the money isn't really there. However, like you said, there is potentially in the healthcare system, there is the money in the NHS. And that's always, been, that was my frustration early on. It was like, for me now, I've, I've been medication free for about three or four years now live really well. I feel like the healthiest I've ever been, like I'm not cured. It's still there. And it would come back if I do the wrong things. Um, but when you look at the economic studies, uh, inflammatory bowel disease costs around three to 4,000 pounds a year per patient. So I've gone from, let's say costing, I don't know, like thousand, 2000 pounds a year to now pretty much next time. I mean, I haven't had an appointment in about 18 months, so nothing. <laughs> um, like that's a huge cost saving. <laughs> like, yeah. Why, if we could just take what I've done and do that to 5% of patients, like that's a huge cost saving. So does the NHS invest in that kind of stuff? Not really. I think it's so caught up in trying to deal with now and like even more deal with now with, with COVID. Like it, it, it's very reactive rather than proactive and looking at, and people talk about prevention rather than treatment, but I haven't really seen it happen in reality, to be honest. What would the top three to five things that you have done over the last um, 12 years that have made the biggest impact? Um, and maybe it's maybe it's more than five, maybe it's a, a number of things. And if so, say so. But I'm wondering if there's three to five kind of top um, specific things that, that have really moved the needle for you. I think... It's lots of things. I talk of it as kind of like an incremental approach. So I probably do a hundred or a thousand things every day or like I've changed lots of little things. And each one of those things has improved me by half a percent here or something like that. Um, so I'm, in terms of my inflammatory bowel disease, it's just as well controlled now as when I was on some of the stronger medications. So one medication had, I don't know, a hundred percent effect. I've had to make up a hundred percent by lots of lots smaller of percentages. percentages. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the big things, I mean, I've talked a lot about sleep. So I think improving sleep has made a big difference. Um, diet's been pretty big, but like very broadly speaking, I eat a sort of like nutrient dense. I eat naturally, like. It, my general kind of rule is if it's got ingredients on it, then I'm probably not eating it. Like I try and cook from scratch and like there will be times where I don't do that because I'm lazy or whatever. That's fine. Um, but again, that kind of 80, 20 rule of like trying to eat well as much as I can. And I think that's made a big difference. Um, stress and taking time out and just trying to, There was, there was there was a guy I came across. It's called the Urban Monk, and it was like he he went and like became a monk for a while, and like 
And then he was like, how do I apply it? Like, that's just not realistic. Like you can't live like a monk or a caveman right. in modern society. How do you apply some of those principles into day-to-day life? So it's, it's kind of like, yeah, how, I mean, I've got a standing desk now. So I'm like, I'm moving around a bit more in my day yeah. while I'm working or I do my phone calls while I'm, uh, where I walk. So I'm getting exercise. So it's trying to like hack into my day, little things. It's just going to make those small little gains in my health. That's going to, going to make a difference. Have you thought about, um, turning that into a product in some way. I think the one thing that uh, all healthcare systems are good at doing is figuring out how to pay for products that you run through an, an RCT. I'm, I'm just wondering whether there's a 50-step a uh, personalized plan that you, could, that you could build into a mobile app or something. Yes. Like the grand most, plan? Most, prob- most probably. Um, I think um, if uh, if some people want to invest some money and like, like I I would happily give it a go. And I think we could get quite far and particularly with some other experts and and people with experience in this field. Um, but it requires a lot of time and testing and effort. So I haven't tried to, I'd love to tackle that, but I haven't because I just don't have the the resources to do so. And for us, that's where we were starting with the education because if you, I think, long term we we want to move into the education of like actually you know we can teach some of these people like some of these basic principles um but again if you talk i mean if you talk to me 12 years ago i would have like probably laughed at some of the things i do now i definitely would have laughed at some of the things i do um so it's also about hitting the person at the right time so for us it's like people at diagnosis want to know more about their disease. They want to know about the treatments. They want to know about all this, the conventional stuff that they believe is, is what they need right now, which is probably true. And then we can slowly build their trust and move them into some of the stuff that's going to start to, to, to help them. So we're focusing on the stuff that isn't controversial is going to be supported. (laughs) And then we can move into some of the other stuff. And we're working with a few researchers to sort of explore some of these other areas as well, which would be super interesting. That's great. So any any investor who does want to uh, fund fund your app, they can uh, they can find you on uh, on Twitter. Um, I I want I was interested as well um, in you've done some work with large pharmaceutical companies. I believe you're on the the Janssen um, ad, some advisory board for patient centered approaches. I, I was really curious around how that came about, and also how you've seen the pharma industry change over the last, um, you know, 10, five, 10 years. Um, because I, I don't think this was as common, um, in, in 2008, but it seems like a lot of companies are taking what you're saying a lot more seriously and, and clearly they're employing in a, in a part-time capacity, people like you to help them see the future. I think, so for me, I run my own business for some time. So I uh, understood the benefits of networking or getting to understand people. And I felt if I, like my mission is to try and improve the quality of life of patients with inflammatory bowel disease. Like that, that is what drives me and that's what I want to do. And that's what's super rewarding. So how do I do that? I've got to understand or influence in some way, the different aspects of the healthcare system. So quite quickly, I was like, I need to get the NHS on board. I need to get the doctors on board. I need to understand them understand how they work understand their challenges because I, I think i see a lot some patients that will be like getting frustrated at the healthcare system saying oh why is it like this and but if you don't understand 
the other perspective, then it's quite difficult to find a solution. So I've sort of forced myself to go and spend a lot of time in healthcare, in pharma and that kind of stuff, just to understand that landscape and understand where those challenges are and how, how we can then all work together to actually make a difference. So, um, I'd started to sort of get involved with pharma a little bit in terms of doing like, um, a bit of public speaking, sharing my story, that kind of stuff. Um, then I'd always been a big believer of, you need to get, you need to understand your market. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by healthcare as it's one of the few industries where they don't seem to talk to customers. And if you treat the patients as the customer or the user, like they don't seem to talk to the users. Yeah. <laughs> they talk to doctors, but they don't talk to the patients. So, so many things when like, you've just spent millions of pounds creating this thing that patients are not going to use because they don't need it. Like you haven't understood yeah. them. And it makes no sense. Um, so started to get more involved in the whole kind of patient centricity movement ended up getting this this role with with Janssen which is the patient advisory committee which has been like super interesting I've been involved for about 18 months now and that is as a 10 of 10 patients we're I'm not a big fan of the word but like patient experts <laughs> um and we we challenge them on stuff they're doing so it's like have you involved patients is this going to have direct patient benefit um and it's been super fascinating to try and sort of understand some of their challenges and understand how, how can we make that whole system more efficient and more focused on the patient goals? Because if we can align everyone's goals to be the same one, then we're going to make big, big, big advances forward. So yeah, I've been, been doing a lot of work now in, in the patient centricity thing. And it's very much around, I'm a big believer now, you need to get the right patients at the right time. There's a lot of stuff. It's like we're put together a patient advisory board or a patient panel or a focus group and a lot of the time it's just a random mix of patients which in right. some circumstances is super useful but in other instances is not useful so like i would say like if you're going to do a digital project in inflammatory bowel disease i have worked in digital for 15 years and i'm a patient so not only can i give you the patient experience but i can also give you some good digital ideas so i can i can wear both hats and i can then bring forward ideas that it's like, okay, you could use this digital solution that would help patients. Cause I understand both sides of things rather than just going, this is a problem for me, but I don't know how to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think they have, they have not traditionally um, spoken to their customer or end user? Um, and, and do you see it changing dramatically or is it, is it going to be a, inch by inch thing i think it comes back to what i said around healthcare has come from a place of trying to deal with acute problems so the patient's view didn't matter or doesn't matter so again like i would not know how to fix a broken arm and i wouldn't ever claim to do so um whilst the patient experience plays a massive role in these these long-term conditions so i think when we've been dealing with the the more simple or complicated problems that is where you need the experts you need the researchers you need the doctors and their experience is vital now we're moving to these complex conditions actually you know what their experience is useful in certain aspects but really not in lots of other aspects so that's where now the patient voice is more important than ever if you're working in that space yeah and i think your you know your worldview could be viewed as threatening to a 
pharmaceutical company because you you've said it yourself that you've been off your medication for three or four years because you have tweaked your your lifestyle in order that you don't need it but i think that the really good ones won't see it as a threat they'll they'll see it as our our business model is is helping patients get better right it's not selling injections or selling pills so i assume jansen and and the other good ones are thinking about how do we embrace digital technology and and think of what the the true job to be done of the the patient is which is to to feel better and um get back to to a state of health um not to not to ship pills yeah definitely i think we need to it comes back to the why so why do pharmaceutical companies exist it's to improve health for the last 50 100 years selling medicines has improved health um, and done some amazing things but now we're moving into some spaces where that's not the only answer so if they want to just sell pharmaceuticals and medicines then i think they will well there's always going to be maybe a place for that but they will struggle if you're then starting to embrace other parts and it's actually focusing on we want to get that patient better if that is through a medicine or through a digital therapeutic or a coaching program or whatever like that is important yeah. for the healthcare system yeah um and i think pharmaceutical play a massive role in that because they have the resources the insights they can do the trials they can understand this stuff and i think we're already seeing so much investment in like data and precision medicine and i think i still think there's massive roles to play with with um pharmaceutical treatments and i think for me i see coming back to my debt an analogy i see pharmaceutical interventions as kind of like loans so it's like you've right. got yourself in debt here's a loan now you're back on your feet now you can make some changes that are going to keep you there rather than at the moment i think we're just handing out loans constantly and then eventually the loans start working and then you're screwed <laughs> yeah and and i think from from my with my genetics and biology hat on if you, if you take something like ulcerative colitis that um, has a genetic underpinning, it's not in, in any way the whole story, um, but clearly there's something happening very complex on a biological level over your entire lifetime because you have the, you know, you're, you're born with the, the set of genetic variants you have and you're arriving at a state of 21 years old with an entire lifetime of biological processes that got you there. And then to expect that you could, find a chemical that you just kind of chuck in and it undoes 21 years of uh, complex biology is it's amazing that any of them work. And, and I think that's the flip side of it, that actually we, um, with any complex disease that there are, you know, single biological entities that can do that. But, but equally, I think it need, you know, we need to think about, uh, whether, whether we're really expecting too much out of these, uh, uh you know, what, what is the upper limit of, um, of medicines and, and where do we have to bring a more holistic approach in? No, I completely agree. And I think that's, we are probably hitting that peak now. It's like finding, I mean, so Roche, for instance, have just invested huge amounts of money in any biologic, but their phase two trial has not had quite the results they're expecting. And it's like, yeah, huge amounts of money plowed into one molecule that is hopefully going to, going to make that big change. And hopefully they will find some other things that, that will work, but it's, yeah, it feels far too simplistic. It's like we, we, it's so complex and, and I've seen it time and time again. I see patients that are being flipped from one medication to another, to another. And when you look at their, their life, like 
they're in a really stressful job or they're like in a really bad relationship or their their lifestyle isn't great because of or they're depressed like there's so many other complicate complex factors i think maybe if you dealt with some of those things it would then maybe make that medication work and and again i think we need to review the the, the trial process so coming back to that roche treatment you're only really you're only really allowed i don't know if this is correct but they, they trial it on patients that have failed other biologic treatments right. and then i think they're the more complex ones and it seems a shame that this biologic might be a better option for biologic naive patients but now it won't be licensed because it doesn't work on the hardest patients to deal with that possibly no biologic is going to fix um whilst that treatment could have been far safer far more uh suitable to some of the other patients that are on some of the anti-tnf inhibitors and things like that so it's kind of yeah, it seems a shame that we're just taking that simplistic view when actually there's so many different pathways involved here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Seb, I, I just want to say thank you. This is uh, this has been an incredible conversation. Just to wrap up here, I'm just curious about for you personally, what what is it that you're working on now and most excited about for the next few years? So for for us, it's um, we're really interested to see where this education platform is going to go. We're aiming to have that being tested by five pediatric centers by the end of the year. And we're also going into adult care as well. So yeah, I, I have some big hopes for what it can achieve. Um, so hopefully we can start to realize that. Yeah, I, stuff has moved so quickly and stuff has changed so much in the last few years and like even more so in the last six months with, with COVID. Yeah. Um, I have no idea where I'm going to be in uh, 12 months time. <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I think I take, I have like some big ideas and, um, but at the same time, just taking it each day as it comes and, and seeing, I think you've got to learn fast from what's going on and, and be prepared to change. Um, so yeah, just super excited to see where that things go, where we can take that, um, and, and hopefully make a big difference to patients. Great. If um, if people want to keep up with you, I know you're at Seb Tucknot on Twitter. Do you have a personal website or, or is ibdrelief.com the best place? So I'm not massively active on Twitter, but I will start to try and do that again a bit more. Um, I'm probably more in, active on Instagram, but I think I'm the only Seb Tucknot in the world, so I'm not that hard to find. Um, so yeah, find me on, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, I have my own website, uh but that's more just uh my i suppose my cv i suppose <laughs> right well great thanks thanks so much uh i i learned an incredible amount i really appreciate you taking the time i, I know everybody listening will as well mm-hmm.